0: Time has come. It is Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy, and we are here to give you part three of The Lord of the Rings and The Return of the King today, where we cover the climax of the series, chapter 11 through chapter 15. It all goes down today. We're going to see the uh, end of our journey, so to speak. Obviously, there's more that comes after this next week to kind of tie everything together, but this is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. And so Really excited to uh, bring this here to you today. Before we jump on into the contents, turn the floor to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get started.
1: Yeah, this is where the hobbits meet the mountain. <laughs> As they say, GDFR, going down for real. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I'm, I'm down. This is uh, uh, The climax is here. We are all the way at the top of the mountain, and uh, there's you know this is it. This is it so it's it's been a wild ride um we'll have a few more episodes after this because you know we'll wind out the novel next week and then we have uh two more episodes with the differences and it's been one hell of a ride man good stuff yeah
0: dude absolutely and so before we dive into everything let's get a cheers put our glasses in the air man to the climax of the series it's been a it's been a long winding road but uh, you know we're finally getting to the end of our journey uh with Lord of the Rings it's it's coming to a close slowly but surely it's been a lot of fun though it really has I love the way that uh you know it's it's come along up into this point so let's finish this bad boy strong we'll give a recap of what happened last week in case this is your first time joining us and then we'll dive right into the chapters
1: Cheers brother Malice in the chalice I feel like it's appropriate because season 3 you know they're coming out with the Lord of the Rings show so I feel like this song is appropriate it's been a long day, <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. Tell you all about it when I see you again. <laughs> Let's do it, man. <laughs> One more time for the
0: hobbits, even though we got like three more times in total. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you're right. We'll see him next week. <laughs> Yeah, man, so to kind of just give a quick recap of where we left off last week, it, it was really from the perspective of Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, Pippin, Merry, Eowyn, you know, Theoden, all that good stuff. It was uh, the big, in, in my mind, the big action climax anyways. We had the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. Uh, Rohan came in, you know, helped them overcome the the, the enemies of Mordor. We had Aragorn with the the Corsairs of Umbar he ended up taking over those ships thanks to the you know army of the dead that helped him grab them and he comes off that Mordor was looking for help they end up getting enemies instead and you know between the the defenders of Gondor Rohan and, and Aragorn and everyone that came off those ships they were able to you know survive that first assault on Gondor and they make the big decision to instead of just wait for the next onslaught they're gonna go right to the gates themselves the black gate i should say of mordor make a last stand there to try to distract the eye of the enemy to have it fixated on you know the captains of the west and hopefully give Frodo and sam enough time to get the job done and bring the ring to the mountain of fire mount doom they call it and toss it in and so that is kind of where we pick up, is where they, you know, they knocked on the, the Black Gates, they had the little the parlay with the of Sauron there, and, you know, he shows them the mithril code of Frodo, makes it seem like they have the, you know, have Frodo hostage or as a prisoner. They they did make no uh, mention of the other one though of, of the, the other person that went with them and so you know thanks to that it seems that you know, Gandalf probably picked up on it and they were able to instead of despair there they went ahead and went about their business and went to you know to, you know really have that last stand at the Black Gate and now we'll pick up you know where this starts with the kind of the spot of the Battle of Pelnor Fields but we're going to go into Frodo's and Sam's perspective here and so. Just to start us off with today, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the biggest things I took away from the first chapter, which is called the Tower of Kirith So the biggest things I, I took away from this chapter, you know, Sam has to find a way around the side entrance. To enter the tower from the front because that you know he ran his shoulder against the, the gate there, fell down and kind of was disoriented and realized there was no way he was getting in there. So he had to go basically through the front entrance. He uh, was just gonna knock on the the, you know, the front doors and hopefully he gets in there. but uh, you know there were what they called two watchers posted on the front entrance to the tower. and what I came to think of them as are very similar to gargoyles, but maybe with some sort of spell or something that made them a little more dangerous, a little more foreboding. Because Sam can't get past them just by walking through, he ends up using the file of Galadriel, and to you know bring light to that dark place, and you know you pause the you know to kind of overcome the powers of those two Watchers and allow him to get through, and now he's in that tower. Uh, I also mentioned that pretty much all the orcs killed each other already. They were fighting over what to do with Frodo and the, the treasures Frodo had, being the Mithril coat, you know not the not uh, Sting because Sam had Sting, but his sword, his other stuff that he had. the... The packs of food he had from Faramir, the Elvish bread, and his cloak and all that—they were fighting over what to do with the spoils of victory. I guess I could say, and they ended up, you know, really attacking each other, and and they pretty much did Sam's work for him. He didn't really have to take on a lot of orcs because they all, you know, killed each other. And you know, Sam sneaks around trying to find where they're keeping Frodo. He comes across Shagrat. He's arguing with Snaga, and you, you see he had that little depiction there of Shagrat. His arms kind of wounded and he's not able to really use it, and so uh, he, but he's still the lead orc guy uh, on, on the one side of things, on the side, I would say, of uh, Sauron, where the other side there, you know, they had a different sigil that was not, he didn't have the red eye on him, his name was uh, Gore, I think it's Gorebag, but uh, they, they had that little standoff, and Gorebag was thought to be dead there, and Shagrat and Snagger are arguing, and uh, Shagrat gets a little frustrated and tries to attack and kill Snaga, but Snaga gets away. Then Gor- Gorbag who's thought to be dead, ends up stirring and tries to do one last sneak attack, but Shagrat catches him in time and ends up putting an end to to uh, Gorbag. You know, I, I said he's the lead antagonist of Shagrat, who was you know the whole quarrel started amongst the orcs. You know, they, they, he tries to kill Shagrat, like I said, Shagrat turns around in time, finishes Gorbag off and that's when Sam comes out of everything after that last little melee between the two and tries to confront Shagrat. But Shagrat being injured and trying to keep the treasure, and you know he only was able to use one hand, and he had the treasure in the other hand. He wasn't able to stand and fight, so he actually runs off. He just kind of flees the little battle with Sam and decides he doesn't want any part of it. Uh, so then from there, Sam tries to find furrow, and all the passages lead nowhere. So he almost gives up, and he starts singing a little song, which... He thinks he hears, uh, you know, someone calling back to him. Similarly, and that's when Snaga has an opening in the trap door in the ceiling to try to, you know, shut him up. And Snaga was actually whipping Frodo with a—I don't know if it was—I don't know if it was, call it just a regular standard whip or whatever. But you know, Sam goes there and sees it. He kind of loses his mind. Sam attacks and cuts Snaga's whip hand all the way off, so his hand fell to the ground with whipping whip in it. That's when Snaga lunges at Sam, but he ends up falling through that the trap door in the ceiling, and he ends up falling through and breaking his neck and so from there Sam and Frodo reunited Frodo tells Sam they took everything Sam says no they didn't take everything he pulls out the ring tells him he kept it safe and offers to help Frodo share the burden for the remainder of the quest and this is where it got a little weird because Frodo freaks out very Gollum style on him You know, just screams at him tells, no you know, don't touch it you know, give me it back to me Just you know, it starts getting a little bit weird and I think that's more of a foreshadow of what's to come later on as we get closer and closer to this fire mountain that we need to be dropping this ring off into uh, from there, I've got Sam goes and gets them orc clothing around the tower, and Frodo scrounges up whatever food is left between what Faramir gave them and the lembus bread from the elves. And you know, the, at the end of it, they're basically what happens is they're disguised as best as they can be. They go to leave the tower, and they have that same issue of the, a big oppressive energy from the two Watchers, and it almost isn't going to allow them to leave. And that's when Sam pulls out Glegolas' file again, and they're able to leave that tower. But then one of the Nazgul comes flying down from the sky, and that's pretty much how the first chapter ends—the Tower of of Kiriath Ungol. And that's one of the big things I took away from it. Uh, Chase, what are some of the things that you uh, picked up from that chapter that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, no, I think you—you <clears throat> you nailed it, man. I mean, I guess, I guess the moment where like Sam was singing a song—I <laughs> guess he was like. I don't know if he was really like scared or just felt like there was no chance of winning at that point is what I kind of got from it um cuz remember he was like singing that sh- song from the Shire I don't know if he thought maybe Frodo could hear that um but I I I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty interesting chapter myself <laughs> but that's just me I thought it was interesting going through the tower and And looking at the Watchers there, um, we'll get into some of the differences uh, a couple weeks from now. But the Watchers aren't actually in the film, so I thought it was pretty cool. But yeah, man, I'll um, let you take us away with the next chapter.
0: And to kind of touch on that quickly, too, I I definitely understand what what you mean there. Because it wasn't action-packed in the type of actions we're used to. It it seemed a lot more of energy and Like you said, I'm not sure if Sam sat there and thought they didn't have any chance of winning, but mostly hopelessness. He couldn't find Frodo, didn't know where his body was, didn't know if he could have been hacked to pieces, killed, or dead. But you know, so then that feeling of hopelessness kind of came over him, and then he ends up figuring out where Frodo ends up being, and so the sense of hope is renewed. And then they it kind of is dashed away again when they go to leave that tower, right? Because that's where the Watchers are, and they have to use that file of Galadriel, and they're able to get out of there, so it's just like, it's a different type of action, it's not, you know, sword on sword, cool battle, it's just almost uh, uh, action against overcoming their own doubts and fears, in a way, more than anything, and then, like I said, the, the whole chapter ends with the Nazgul come flying down, and they're pretty much fear incarnate, right, so uh, that that's the biggest difference I came to come across, is that the, the actions here in these five chapters is more so about fighting their inner demons more so than battling outward foes. Do you kind of get what I'm saying there?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, it um, In a way, this is kind of like where I guess you see... I mean, he really has a big role in the next couple of chapters, but I do like that you actually have kind of it's kind of like opposite of Ronald Weasley. <laughs> like he's actually proving his worth here to me. Like this like honestly, one could actually make the case this whole journey is over without Sam. Whereas with Ronald Weasley <laughs> keep doing your doggy paddle. <laughs> That's all I got to say, man. I'll let you take it away, brother, cuz I I think you nailed it though. Awesome.
0: So the next chapter we're going to dive into is Chapter 12, which is called The Land of Shadow. biggest things I took away from this one is that Frodo and Sam are able to avoid being seen by the Nazgul that swooped down at the end of the previous chapter. And they start making their way, trying to make a quick escape. But there's this bridge that they're coming to. The the problem is, is that there's reinforcements heading towards that tower. So to avoid being seen by the reinforcements, they end up taking this fall down this ravine and end up jumping into... Thorn bushes ends up cutting them up even though they've got the uh, orc armor on the mail and all that uh, it just it wasn't enough so they end up continuing their journey and what they decide to do since they have to stay off the main road is they're going to go north first and then turn eastward towards Mount Doom when it's time so instead of going straight east like on that main road they, they're they trying their best to be, avoid being seen and being captured and, and all that so they've got a plan we're going to see how it turns out for them and then they the very biggest thing here and I would not say the biggest thing in the whole chapters but the biggest next part that I've caught up here is that they're almost found by two orcs and in this conversation with these two orcs that are tracking them they learn a very important piece of information that gollum is still alive they call him that creeper right so there's the he's he's still around and i think that was a that's a big foreshadow for for what's to come because you kind of start forgetting about gollum after the whole attack on Shelob's lair and all that and and so we, we learn that Gollum also made his way into Mordor and he has not been caught so that's something to keep in mind and then those two orcs that we were just mentioning they get into this fight with each other and one ends up killing the other one while they were supposed to be following the scent and tracks of Frodo and Sam and so they get a little bit lucky in that sense and you know after that little heated exchange the other one just stops you know searching that trail period so that way you know they were able to get away from from those two so they keep moving with barely any food or any water they end up finding some gross tasting water to at least not die from dehydration from and as they're moving they see the full might of mordor and they see how many tents there were that they filed all the way back almost to the very back of the black land it really kind of gets you an idea of how big the forces of mordor are they're backed by this mountain line well far away from the entrance gate and there's tents of armies all the way back as far as they are and they're having a hard time trying to figure out how they're going to get past it alone right there and this is what the tail end of everything. So their forces in Mordor are to be reckoned with. They are a force and that's going to be, you know, that's why for the previous week we talked about they want what Aragorn and the Captains of the West want to do. They want to draw that force out there and we're going to see if that ends up you know panning and coming out to be true so from there they eventually do run out of water and sam lets frodo eat the remainder of the food without telling him sam then goes off while frodo's asleep to find more water and he does find that water but, but he also does he see, he catches a glimpse of Gollum on the move towards frodo and he does get back in time to make sure nothing happens but again Gollum is now at large and he is for sure tracking the hobbits then the next thing I have is there there was a marching troop of orcs going past Frodo and Sam's hiding spot. They were about halfway to the end of the troop line before Frodo and Sam were spotted. And it's a good thing they were wearing those orc clothing that they decided to, because the whip driver thought they were just deserters and made them fall back in line with the troops marching to the front of Mordor. And they, they almost can't go any further. They're, they're stumbling and, he, and Sam's freaking out saying, shoot, we're, we're real close to being caught here because if, if Frodo passes out and can't move forward and they come investigate, you know they're going to know, number one, we're not orcs. They're going to see what we have on us and we're going to be in trouble here. But... Uh, at that point in time there's a big confusion and it happens when multiple troop armies blend in with each other and they're all trying to finish the march at the same time which causes a big cluster and that allows frodo and sam the chance to escape and they do nearly get away from them from the marching troops and they get out of sight just before frodo passes out and loses consciousness and that was you know the biggest things i took away from that chapter there what are some of the things that you took away from that chapter
1: yeah that's pretty much what i had uh the only thing i'll read here is just this last paragraph here it kind of shows like if you're looking on sam's perspective like how you kind of hit like that oh shit moment like uh i don't know if this would kind of work out so it says with a last despairing effort frodo raised himself on his hands and struggled on for maybe 20 yards then he pitched down into a shallow pit that opened unexpectedly before them. And there he lay like a dead thing. Like, and that's the last paragraph of that chapter. So coming from Sam's perspective, just kind of my big takeaway here is this is really when you really do see Sam shine. Because, And thinking of this moment, like, he's probably thinking, like, oh, shit. Like, this is kind of... Like, what the hell am I going to (laughs) do? Like, what the fuck, dude? It reminds me of like, have you ever had like that one friend? I know I've been that friend (laughs) that's gotten so drunk. (laughs) It's just like, fuck, dude. Like, how are we going to get this guy home? (laughs) Like, how is this going to happen? I know I've been that before, but I've also been on the other side, like taking care of people as well and that's not a good side to be on imagine especially if the entire world is on your shoulders here and that's where that you know that lies but that's my uh, only takeaway from there you nailed it and uh, i'll let you go ahead and take it away we are at the climax man
0: yeah the title of this chapter is called mountain doom it is chapter 13 here uh, the biggest things i have I got a couple takeaways before I'll read an excerpt of when the big stuff happens, but basically, the the path laid ahead of them is to their benefit. There's many places move forward and hide simultaneously. Uh, now that they were able to escape from the big march of troops, and they were able to get to a spot where they weren't able to be seen, they look towards their path, and it is actually in their favor, which has not been their... They haven't been in the best of luck as far as that went up until this point inside of Mordor, so that was great, and you know, they are having trouble making good progress so what they ended up deciding to do is they decided to ditch the orc gear and almost all of their possessions that they currently had with them the only things they really kept were their swords the gladio's file their food and water and that gift that Galadriel gave to sam in that little box outside of that sam had to throw away his cooking gear had to throw away everything else that he got he was a little upset about it and not only did he just like put it to the side he decided he didn't want anyone to get it, so he just threw it into a great fissure in, in the earth and never to be found again. All the stuff that they carried with them all the way through from Rivendell, most of it, you know, 90% of it, they had to throw away for this last-ditch effort. So they are no longer dressed as orcs. They are fully in their hobbit gear as light of a load as they can possibly have because they were having a really tough time moving forward and the, the burden of the ring was really affecting Frodo. Sam was starting to lose some energy and so now this was their last ditch effort. Like, Hey, uh, we've, we've got a last sprint at this. We got, you know, we, we don't have much left in us. We're going to go ahead and we're going to try to end this thing as we started as just two regular hobbits and see what happens. So, uh, I, I would say this is another part here where Sam really starts to lose hope. He actually has an argument within himself to either give up or keep going. And, he ends up deciding and this is paraphrasing of course but he ends up deciding that even if he has to carry frodo himself he's going through with it to the very bitter end and that's when they get to the base of the mountain and frodo can't even stand up and so sam literally carries frodo as far as he can and this is where i'll go ahead and take a little bit of the pages here i'm going to talk for me it's going to be the last paragraph on page 234 through the first paragraph on page 235 for me I thought this was like pretty important stuff here. So uh, it says, The path was not... This is talking about we're, right now we're at the base of Mount Doom. And it says, The path was not put there for p- the purposes of Sam. He did not know it, but he was looking at Sauron's road from Barad-dûr to the Samoth-Naur, the Chambers of Fire. Out from the Dark Tower's huge western gate, it came over a deep abyss by a vast bridge of iron. Then passing into the plain, it ran for a league between two smoking chasms and so reached a long, sloping causeway that up to the mountain's eastern side, thence turning and encircling all its wide girth from south to north. It climbed at last, high in the upper cone, but still far from the reeking summit, to a dark entrance that gazed back east, straight to the window of the eye in Sauron's shadow-mantled fortress. Often blocked or destroyed by the tumults of the mountain's furnaces, always that road was repaired and cleared again by the labors of countless orcs." So the point there is, I wanted to read, is they found the path that they need to go on to enter the cracks of doom, to, to drop this ring in once and for all and end this huge war of the Third Age. So, that, that well, as they start making their way up this path that Sam found, surprise, surprise, they get attacked by our boy Gollum. And what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read from page 237 here and take it all the way to the end of the chapter, just a couple pages. But... Uh, It says, A sudden weight smote him, and he crashed forward, tearing the back of his hands that still clasped his masters, and he knew what had happened, for above him as he lay, he heard a hated voice. Wicked master, it hissed. Wicked master cheats us. Cheats Smeagol. Gollum, he mustn't go that way. He mustn't hurt Precious. Give it to Smeagol. Yes. Give it to us. Give it to us. And with a violent heave, Sam rose up. At once he drew his sword, but he could do nothing because Gollum and Frodo were locked together. Gollum was tearing at his master, trying to get at the chain and the ring. This was probably the only thing that could have roused the dying embers of Frodo's heart and will. An attack, an attempt to wrest his treasure from him by force. He fought back with a sudden fury that amazed Sam and Gollum also. "'Even so, things might have gone far otherwise if Gollum himself had remained unchanged. "'But whatever dreadful paths, lonely and hungry and waterless, he had trodden, "'driven by a devouring desire and a terrible fear that had left grievous marks on him, "'he was a lean, starved, haggard thing, all bones and tight-drawn, sallow skin, "'a wild light flamed in his eyes, but his malice was no longer matched by his old, griping strength. "'Frodo flung him off and rose up quivering. "'Down!' "'Down!' he gasped, clutching his hand to his breast "'so that underneath the cover of his leather shirt "'he clasped the ring. "'Down, you creeping thing, and out of my path. "'Your time is at an end. "'You cannot betray me or slay me now.' "'Then suddenly, as before, under the eaves of the emin Mule, "'Sam saw these two rivals with other vision. "'A crouching shape, scarcely more than a shadow of a living thing, "'a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, "'yet filled with a hideous lust and rage. "'And before it stirred, stern, untouchable now by pity.' A figure robed in white, but at its breast it held a wheel of fire. Out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice. Be gone, and trouble me no more. If you touch me ever again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. A Little bit of a foreshadow there, guys. <laughs> the crouching shape backed away, terror in its blinking eyes, and yet at the same time, insatiable desire. Then the vision passed, and Sam saw Frodo standing, hand on his breast, his breath coming in great gasps, and Gollum at his feet resting on his knees with wide-eyed, splayed hands upon the ground. Look out, cried Sam, he'll spring, and he stepped forward, brandishing his sword. Quick, master, he gasped. Go on, no time to lose. I'll deal with him. Go on. Fro looked at him as if one far away. Yes, I must go on, he said. Farewell, Sam, this is the last end. On Mount Doom shall fall. Farewell, he turned and went on, walking slowly but erect at the climbing path. Now, said Sam, at last I can deal with you. He leaped forward with drawn blade ready for battle, but Gollum did not spring. He fell flat upon the ground and whimpered. Don't kill us, he wept. Don't hurt us with nasty, cruel steel. Let us live, yes, live just a little longer. Lost, lost, we're lost. And when precious goes, we'll die. Yes, die into the dust. He clapped the ashes of the path with his long, fleshless fingers. Dust, he hissed. And Sam's hand wavered. His mind was hot with wrath and memory of evil. It would be just to slay this treacherous, murderous creature. Just and many times deserved. And also, it seemed the only safe thing to do. But deep in his heart... There was something that restrained him. He could not strike this thing lying in the dust, forlorn, ruinous, utterly wretched. He himself, though only for a little while, had borne the ring, and now dimly he guessed the agony of Gollum's shriveled mind and body enslaved to that ring, unable to find peace or relief in that life ever again. But Sam had no words to express what he felt. Oh, curse you, you stinking thing, he said. Go away, be off. I don't trust you. Not as far as I could kick you, but be off, or I shall hurt you. Yes, with nasty, cruel steel." And Gollum got up on all fours and backed away for several paces, then he turned, and as Sam aimed a kick at him, he fled down the path, and Sam gave no more heed to him. He suddenly remembered his master, he looked up the path and could not see him. As fast as he could, he trudged up the road, but if he had looked back, he might have seen not far below Gollum turn again, then with a wild light of madness glaring in his eyes, come swiftly but warily creeping on behind a slinking shadow amongst the stones." The path climbed on, and soon it bent again, and with a last eastward course, it passed into a cutting along the face of the cone, and came to the dark door in the mountain side, the door of Samothnaur. Far away, now rising towards the south, the sun, piercing the smokes and haze, burned ominous, a dull bleeding disk of red, but all Mordor lay about the mountain like a dead land, silent, shadow-folded, waiting for some deadful stroke. Sam came to the gaping mouth and peered in. It was dark and hot, and a deep rumbling shook the air. "'Frodo, master!' he called, but there was no answer, and for a moment he stood, his heart beating with wild fears, and then he plunged in. A shadow followed him. At first he could see nothing. In his great need he drew out once more the file of Galadriel, but it was pale and cold in his trembling hand and threw no light into that stifling dark. He has come now to the heart of the realm of Sauron and the forges of his ancient might, greatest in Middle-earth, all other powers here were subdued. So fearfully he took a few uncertain steps in the dark, Then all at once there came a flash of red that leaped upwards and smote the high black roof. Then Sam saw that he was in a long cave or tunnel that bored into the mountain's smoking cone, but only a short way ahead its floor and walls on either side were cloven by a great fissure, out of which the red glare came, now leaping up, now dying into darkness. And all the while, far below, there was a rumor and a trouble of great engines throbbing and laboring. The light sprang up again, and on the brink of the chasm, at the very crack of doom, stood Frodo black against the glare, tense, erect, but still as if he had been turned to stone. Master, cried Sam. Then Frodo stirred and spoke with a clear voice, indeed with a voice clear and more powerful than Sam had ever heard him use, and it rose above the throb and turmoil of Mount Doom, ringing in the roof and the walls. I have come, he said, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. I will not do this deed. The ring is mine. And suddenly, as he set it on his finger, he vanished from Sam's sight. And Sam gasped, but he had no choice, chance to cry out, for at that moment, many things happened. Something struck Sam violently in the back. His legs were knocked from under him as he was flung aside, striking his head against the stony floor as a dark shape sprang over him. He lay still, and for a moment, all went black. And far away, as Frodo put on the ring and claimed it for his own, Even in Samothnauer, at the very Harvest Realm, the power in Baradur was shaken, and the tower trembled from its foundations to its proud and bitter crown. The Dark Lord was suddenly aware of him, and his eye piercing, all shadows looked across the plain to the door that he had made. And the magnitude of his own folly was revealed to him in a blinding flash, and all the devices of his enemies were at last laid bare. Then his wrath blazed in consuming flame, but his fear rose like a vast black smoke to choke him." for he knew his deadly peril and the thread upon which his doom now hung from all his policies and webs of fear and treachery from all his stratagems and wars his mind shook free and throughout his realm a tremor ran his slaves quailed and his armies halted and his captains suddenly steerless bereft of will wavered and despaired for they were forgotten The whole mind and purpose of the power that wielded them was now bent with overwhelming force upon the mountain. At his summons, wheeling with a rending cry in a last desperate race, there flew faster than the winds, the Nazgul, the Ringwraiths, and with a storm of wings, they hurtled southward towards Mount Doom. Sam got up. He was dazed and blood streamed from his head, dripping in his eyes. He groped forward and then saw a strange and terrible thing. Gollum on the edge of the abyss was fighting like a mad thing with an unseen foe. To and fro he swayed, now so near the brink that almost he tumbled in, now dragging back, falling to the ground, rising and falling again, all the while he hissed but spoke no words. The fires below awoke in anger, and red lights blazed, and all the cavern was filled with a great glare and heat. Suddenly Sam saw Gom's long hands draw upward to his mouth, his white fangs gleamed, and then he snapped as they bit. Fro gave a cry, and there he was, fallen upon his knees at the chasm's edge." but Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, held aloft the ring, a finger still thrust within its circle. It shone now, as if verily it was wrought of living fire. "'Precious, precious, precious!' Gollum cried. "'My precious, oh my precious!' And with that, even as his eyes were lifted up to gloat on his prize, he stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek he fell. Out of the depths came his last wail, "'Precious!' and he was gone." There was a roar and a great confusion of noise. Fires leaped up and licked the roof. The throbbing grew to a great tumult, and the mountain shook. Sam ran to Frodo and picked him up and carried him to the door. There, upon the dark threshold of the Samothnur, high above the plains of Mordor, such wonder and terror came on him that he stood still, forgetting all else, and gazed as one turns to stone. A brief vision he had of swirling cloud, and in the midst of its towers and battlements, tall as hills, founded upon a mighty mountain, thrown above immeasurable pits, great courts and dungeons, eyeless prisons, sheerest cliffs and gaping gates of steel and adamant, and all had passed. Towers fell and mountains slid, walls crumbled and melted, crashing down, vast spires of smoke and spouting steams on billowing up, up until they toppled like an overwhelming wave and its wild crests curled and came foaming down upon the land. Then at last over the miles between there came a rumble, rising to a deafening crash and roar, the earth shook, the plain heaved and cracked, Oro drew and reeled, fire belched from its riveting summit, and the skies burst into thunder, searing with lightning down like lashing whips fell a torrent of black rain, and into the heart of the storm, with a cry that pierced all their sounds, tearing the clouds asunder, the Nazgul came, shooting like flaming bolts, as caught in the fury ruin of hill and sky, they crackled, withered, and went out. Well, this is the end, Sam Gamgee said a voice by his side, and there was Frodo, pale and worn, and yet himself again. And in his eyes there was peace now, neither strain of will nor madness nor any fear. His burden was taken away. There was a dear master of the sweet days in the shire. Master, he cried, and fell upon his knees. In all that ruin of the world, for the moment he felt joy, great joy. The burden was gone. His master had been saved. He was himself again. He was free. And then Sam caught sight of the maimed and bleeding hand. Your poor hand, he said, and I have nothing to bind it or comfort it with. I would have spared him a whole hand of mine, rather, but he's gone now beyond all recall. Gone forever. Yes, said Frodo, but do you remember Gandalf's words? Even Gollum may have something yet to do. But for him, Sam, I could not have destroyed the ring. The quest would have been in vain, even at the bitter end. So let us forgive him, for the quest is achieved, and now all is over. I am glad you are here with me, here at the end of all things, Sam. That is the end of chapter 13, mount doom those are the big things i took away chase what are some of the things that uh you stood out to you in that chapter
1: yeah no you basically nailed it man i mean that was i mean that was pretty much it i mean the only little quote here i have which is kind of like an icon- iconic line remember frodo collapses and it says with a gasp frodo cast himself on the ground sam sat by him to his surprise he felt tired but lighter And as his head seemed clear again, no more debates disturbed his mind. He knew all the arguments of despair and would not listen to them. His will was set, and only death would break it. He felt no longer either desire or need of sleep, but rather of watchfulness. He knew that all the hazards and perils were now drawing together to a point, and the next day would be a day of doom, the day of final effort or disaster, the last gasp. But what when would it come? The night seemed endless and timeless, minute after minute, falling dead and adding up to no passing hour, bringing no change, Sam began to wonder if a darkness second darkness had begun, and no day would ever reappear at last, he groped for Frodo's hand, it was cold and trembling, his master was shivering. I didn't ought to have left my blanket behind, muttered Sam, then lying down, he tried to comfort Frodo with his arms and body. Then sleep took him and the dim light in the last day of their quest found them side by side, and the wind had fallen the day before as it is, shifted from the west, and now it came from the north and began to rise, and slowly the light of the unseen sun filtered down into the shadows where the hobbits lay. Now for it, now for the last gasp, said Sam, and he struggled to his feet, and he bent over to Frodo, rousing him gently, Frodo groaned, but with a great effort, of will he staggered up and then he fell upon his knees again he raised his eyes with difficulty to the dark slopes of Mount Doom towering above him and then pitifully he began to crawl forward on his hands Sam looked at him and wept in his heart but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes I said I'd carry him if it broke my back he muttered and I will come Mr. Frodo he cried I can't carry it for you But I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. So Sam was about to take Frodo for a ride. So you already touched on that, that he picked him up. But that's that, like, uh, iconic famous line in the film is why I kind of wanted to bring that up. But I think they did it better in the film. It was a little strange. way it was here in the books (laughs) but uh yeah no that's really all i had man it's uh, the big point here is uh i think a lot of people miss that honestly this entire journey though is up to sam at this point because if they can't get to the top of the mountain even if it even though Gollum was there (laughs) for that to happen right to because you know frodo wasn't exactly the purest of heart at the very end there but if it wasn't for sam Gollum wouldn't have even been able to be at the top of mount doom which means yeah he probably would have just taken the ring and this whole thing would have been over so uh yeah i gotta give sam his props man and uh I'll let you kind of, I guess this is the Damon Wall, man. We're kind of just starting to wrap things up, which then goes into next week. we got two chapters left, so I'll let you take the next one. Yeah,
0: the next chapter here, chapter 14, The Field of Cormalin There's only a few things I really took away from this chapter, most of them bullet points. There is like a page and a half that I'll probably read. But overall, the biggest things that took away is uh, Gwethir and Landroval. They were considered the greatest of all the Eagles of the North, they ended up joining the fight for the good guys, and they started. Once they started their attack, they were gonna. base I think in my in my mind, and I know that they did this. They try to depict it like this in the film. It was basically the answer to the Nazgul. This is the good guys' answer to the Nazgul. the The eagles were gonna fly there, but what ended up happening before it even came to blows between the two creatures, they, it, it's depicted as the towers of the Teeth fell and Sauron's dominion over Middle Earth has now come to an end. So when the, 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 we're starting to converge on the timelines here, we're almost all caught up between everyone's perspectives. And you know this is where we uh, Gollum bit Frodo's finger off in the last chapter and fell into the, the fire pit. Well, now we're kind of catching up to where we are with the other guys here, and they're about to make their last stand. And like I said, the, the Towers of the Teeth fell. Sauron's dominion over Middle-earth has officially come to an end. Then the perspective shifts to Frodo and Sam again, and they're trying to make the best of their perceived last moments. You know, they're making peace with the fact that this is where they die. They try to go to a little better spot than they were. Eagles come with the help of Gandalf. He's riding one of them. They take Frodo and Sam away from Mordor, and Fro- Sam and Frodo awaken a few days later. They're alive and greeted with honor into the city. Aragorn officially enters Athelion here, and he takes his place as king. They make songs about Frodo and Sam. Thought that was pretty cool. Very nice. Uh, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin all reunite for the first time since they broke apart at where you know Merry and Pippin were taken prisoner, and Boromir died. And what's kind of cool here is Merry is named a Knight of the Mark, and Pippin is named a Knight of the City. So that, that was pretty badass for these two little hobbits. They are now uh, world-renowned knights in two different areas. And then just to kind of close this chapter off before we get into the last one, I'll chase the opportunity to go over his takeaways too on this one. But uh, page 252, I'm going to take it from the top of this page to the end of the chapter. It says, At length Gandalf rose. The hands of the king are hands of healing, dear friends, he said. But you went to the very brink of death before we called you, putting forth all his power and sent you into the sweet forgetfulness of sleep. And though you have indeed slept long and blessedly, still is now time to sleep again. Not only Sam and Frodo here, said Gimli, but you too, Pippin. I love you, if only because of the pains you have cost me, which I shall never forget. Nor shall I forget finding you on the hill of the last battle. But for Gimli the dwarf, you would have been lost then. But at least I know now the look of a hobbit's foot, though it be all that can be seen under a heap of bodies. And when I heaved that great carcass off you, I made sure you were dead. I could have torn out my beard, and it is only a day yet since you were first up and abroad again." To bed now you go, and so shall I. And I, said Legolas, shall walk in the woods of this fair land, which is rest enough. In days to come, if my elven lord allows, some of our folk shall remove hither, and when we come, it shall be blessed for a while. For a while! A month, a life, a hundred years of men. But Anduin is near, and Anduin leads down to the sea. To the sea! And it breaks out in song To the sea, to the sea! The white gulls are crying. The wind is blowing, and the white foam is flying. West, west away, the round sun is falling. Gray ship, gray ship, do you hear them calling? The voices of my people that have gone before me, I will leave, I will leave the woods that bore me. For our days are ending, and our years are failing. I will pass wide waters, lonely sailing. Long are the waves on the last shore falling, sweet are the voices in the lost isle calling. In Aresia, in Elvenholm, that no man can discover, where the leaves fall not, land of my people forever and so singing Legolas went away down the hill then the others also departed and Frodo and Sam went to their beds and slept and in the morning they rose again in hope and peace and they spent many days in Ithilien for the fields of Cormalin, where the host was now encamped was near to Henneth Nuen and the stream that flowed from its falls could be heard in the night as it rushed down through the rocky gate and passed through the flowery meads into the tides of the Anduin by the Isle of Carandros The hobbits wandered here and there, visiting again the places that they had passed before, and Sam hoped always in some shadow of the woods or secret glade to catch maybe a glimpse of the great Oliphant. And when he learned that at the Siege of Gondor there had been a great number of these beasts, but that they were all destroyed, he thought it a sad loss. Well, one can't be everywhere at once, I suppose, he said, but I missed a lot, seemingly. And in the meanwhile, the host made ready for the return to Minas Tirith, The weary rested, and the hurt were healed, for some had labored and fought much with the remnants of the Easterlings and the Southerns until all were subdued. And latest of all, those returned who had passed into Mordor and destroyed the fortresses in the north of the land. But at the last, when the month of May was drawing near, the captains of the west set out again, and they went aboard ship with all their men and sailed from Andros down Anduin to Osgiliath, and there they remained for one day, and the day after they came to the green fields of the Pelennor and saw again the white towers under tall Mindaluin, the city of men of Gondor, last memory of Westerness, that had passed through darkness and fire to a new day. And there in the midst of the fields they set up their pavilion and awaited the morning, for it was the eve of May, and the king would enter his gates with the rising of the sun. And those were my big takeaways here for chapter 14, the field of Cormalin. I don't know, Chase. Was there anything else that you had in there? Is that pretty much cover it? Or was there some things that stuck out to you outside of that?
1: No, that was it, man. Not a whole lot happened in that one. (laughs) I mean, Aragorn is king. That's the big thing. And, uh, you know, Gandalf says, time to wake up. Here's your shit. (laughs) We got a big celebration going, man. Malice and the Chalice. Cheers to you. Cheers to me. Best of friends will always be. And I'll let you finish the rest of that, because, you know, I'm still learning it, and it's been years. Well, you know what? We're all here together
0: today, so you want to finish that, because that would tear us apart. We're here to come together at the end of the chapter, so we will we will leave we that are. where it is, and here we are indeed. <laughs> chapter 5. <laughs> I'll let yeah. you take it away. Yeah, chapter 15 in the entire book here is called The Steward and the King, and this is the last chapter we'll cover for today in terms of the contents of the novel. I actually only have a few takeaways here. You know, Faramir and Eowyn develop feelings for each other and end up falling in love. At first, it doesn't seem like she's going to. He seemed pretty taken with her pretty fast. She tried to fight it and decided, you know, I, I can't fight it anymore. I will I will go ahead and you know, do my part here. And So now Faramir and Eowyn are a thing. The captains of the West return to Minas Tirith, and Aragorn is accepted as the rightful king of Gondor. And Baragon, who we thought was dead by the troll in front of the Black Gates from last week, he actually is alive. Uh, he is punished and honored at the same time by being banished from the city guard, but is appointed to be in the guard of Faramir, who is to move to Ithilien, as opposed to staying into Minas Tirith and taking care of the king. So, yeah, you know, he his loyalty to Faramir specifically was, was rewarded, but his disloyalty to Gondor was punished, and so he's no longer in Minas Tirith, he's with... Faramir in Aphilion, or that's where he will be going. Then just the last thing, I'm gonna read the third to the last paragraph on page two sixty-nine, and then just finish up the last couple pages of the chapter, just because I think that this really sums up things in a nice way, I guess I can say. So it says, And Gandalf said, This is your realm, and the heart of the greater realms that shall be. The third age of the world is ended, and the new age is begun, and it is your task to order its beginning and to preserve what may be preserved. "'For though much has been saved, much now must pass away, "'and the power of the three rings is also ended. "'And all the lands you see, and all that lie around them, "'shall be dwellings of men, for the time comes of the dominion of men, "'and the elder kindred shall fade or depart. "'I know it well, dear friend,' said Aragorn, "'but I would still have your counsel.' "'Not for long now,' said Gandalf. "'The third age was my age. "'I was the enemy of Sauron, and my work is finished. "'I shall go soon, too. "'The burden must now lie upon you.' and your kindred. But I shall die, said Aragorn, for I am a mortal man, and though being what I am, and of the race of the west unmingled, I shall have life far longer than other men, yet that is but a little while, and when those who are now in the wombs of women are born and have grown old, I too shall grow old. And then who shall govern Gondor, and those who look upon the city as to their queen, if my desire be not granted? The tree in the court of the fountain is still withered and barren. When shall I see a sign that it will ever be otherwise? turn your face from the green world and look where all seems barren and cold said gandalf then aragorn turned and there was a stony slope behind him running down from the skirts of the snow and as he looked he was aware that alone there in the waste a growing thing stood and he climbed to it saw that out of the very edge of the snow there sprang a sapling tree no more than three foot high Already it had put forth young leaves, long and shapely, dark above the silver beneath, and upon its shelter crown it bore one small cluster of flowers, whose white petals shone like the sunlit snow. And Aragorn cried, Yea, vienis! I have found it. Lo, here is a sign of the eldest of trees. But how comes it here? For it is not itself yet seven years old. And Gandalf coming looked at it said, Verily, this is a sapling of the line of Nimloth the Fair. And that was a seedling of Galithilion, and that a fruit of Telperion, of many names, eldest of trees. Who shall say how it comes here in the appointed hour? But this is an ancient hallow. Before the kings failed or the tree withered in the court, a fruit must have been set here. For it is said that, though the fruit of the tree comes seldom to ripeness, the life within may then lie sleeping through many long years, and none can foretell the time in which it will awake. Remember this. For if ever a fruit ripens, it should be planted, lest the line die out of this world, and here it has lain hidden on the mountain, even as the race of Elendil lay hidden in the wastes of the north, yet the line of Nimloth is older far than your line, King Elisar. Then Aragorn laid his hand gently to the sapling, and lo, it seemed to hold only lightly to the earth, and it was removed without hurt. Aragorn bore it back to the citadel, and the withered tree was uprooted, but with reverence." And they did not burn it, but laid it to rest in the silence of Rathdinan And Aragorn planted the new tree in the court by the fountain, and swiftly and gladly it began to grow. And when the month of June entered, and it was laden with blossom. The sign has been given, said Aragorn, and a day is not far off. And he sat watchmen upon the walls. It was the day before midsummer when messengers came from Din to the city, and they said that there was a riding of fair folk out of the north, and they drew near now to the walls of the Pelennor. And the king said, At last they have come, let all the city be made ready. Upon the very eve of midsummer, when the sky was blue as sapphire, and white stars opened in the east, but the west was still golden, and the air was cool and fragrant, the riders came down the north way to the gates of Minas Tirith. First rode Elrohir and Eladon with a banner of silver. Then came Glorfindel and Aristor and all the household of Rivendell. And after them came the lady Galadriel and Celeborn, lord of Lothlorien riding upon white steeds, and with them many fair folk of their land, grey cloaked with white gems in their hair. And last came Master Elrond, mighty among elves and men, bearing the sceptre of Ananuminus, and beside him upon a grey palfrey rode Arwen his daughter, even star of her people. And Frodo, when he saw her come glimmering in the evening, with stars on her brow and a sweet fragrance about her, was moved with great wonder, and he said to Gandalf, At last I understand why we have waited, this is the ending. Now not day only shall be beloved, but night too shall be beautiful and blessed, and all its fear pass away. Then the king welcomed his guest, and they alighted. And Elrond surrendered the supper, and laid the hand of his daughter in the hand of the king. And together they went up into the high city, and all the stars flowered in the sky. And Aragorn, the king Elisar, wedded Arwen undomiel in the city of kings upon the day of midsummer. And the tale there long awaited and labors was come to fulfilment that is the end of chapter 15 the steward and the king which is the last chapter that we'll touch on today i don't know man what did you take away from that chapter that uh didn't cover was that pretty much it that
1: was pretty much it i mean the big thing is in my opinion i think aowyn still had a thing for aragorn (laughs) is clearly what it was i think faramir got uh second-hand smoke. (laughs) This is kind of proved here. Um, I got this here. It says, uh, So, And Eowyn did not go, though her brother sent word, begging her to come to the field of Kermalin. And Faramir wondered at this, but he saw her seldom, being busy with many matters, and she dwelt still in the house of healing and walked alone in the garden. And her face grew pale again, and it seemed that all the city... She only was ailing and sorrowful, and the warden of the house houses was troubled, and he spoke to Faramir. Then Faramir came and sought her, and once more stood the walls together, and he said to her, Eowyn, why do you tarry here, and do not go to the rejoicing of Kremolin, beyond Ker Andros, where your brother awaits you? And she said, Do you not know? But he answered, Two reasons there may be, but which is true I do not know, and she said, I do not wish to play at riddles, speak plainer. Then if you will it have it so, lady, he said, You do not go because only your brother called for you, and to look on the Lord Aragorn Olyndel's heir in his triumph would now bring you no joy. Or because I do not go and you desire still to be near me, then maybe for both these reasons "'You and yourself cannot choose between them. "'Eowyn, do you not love me, or will you not? "'I wish to be loved by another,' she answered, "'but I desire no man's pity. "'That I know,' he said. "'You desire to have the love of the Lord, Aragorn, "'because he was high and pursuant, "'and you wish to have renowned glory "'and to be lifted far above the mean things "'that crawl on this earth, and as great captain,' May to a young soldier he seemed to you admirable. For so he is, a lord among men, the greatest that now is. But when he gave you only understanding and pity, then you desired to have nothing unless a brave death in battle. So, to me, I think that's pretty clear. I think you got sloppy seconds. <laughs> what do you think, man?
0: I mean, uh, I, I still think she was chasing the ghost of someone that she like, admired more so than, I just don't think she knew Aragorn enough to really be in love with him. I think we kind of mentioned that a few times, is they didn't have a ton of interactions together, but she seemed enamored with maybe the thought of him with the fact that he's, you know, coming from the north in different areas and, you know, coming into his own and earning all this glory and becoming the king of everything. I just, I just, I I more so think she's in love with the idea of what he represents more than in love with Aragorn the person, and I think... Faramir helped her realize that, in in that breaking the spell or you know whatever it was that was holding her to Aragorn, it actually helped her see Faramir in a new
1: light and fall in love with him. So that's my thought on it. Could be, it could be. I uh, yeah, I mean, could be. Because one thing that's very interesting about this novel, it's a little bit different than the film. You really don't hear much of Arwen at all. Like she just kind of like a betrothal at the ending there. Also, one thing that I found was ironic was Faramir announced uh, Aragorn as he was, like, coming down. Like, behold, you know, the steward of Gondor, Aragorn. So, like, I thought I was like, praise him, thinks he gave me his side, <laughs> side girl, <laughs> his number two. But uh, so I thought it was kind of interesting, a little bit ironic. Also, another piece that I think is important, it does mention, she says it It looks like Numenor out there, and that's important because um, what's actually funny is they talk about Numenor a lot in the Second Age, and they actually were just talking when they were talking about the Rings of Power show. Um, that's going to be brought up a lot is kind of the fall of Numenor and that sort of thing it goes on the Rings of Power show, so I thought that was really interesting, but... Other than that, man, no, that was that was it, and that's uh, what debates did you have for today? Today, the only debate I really had
0: was I'm a little bit curious. Let's say that instead of taking mercy upon Gollum and letting him go, what if Sam killed Gollum at the base of that mountain, and Frodo had free reign to do whatever he wanted to in the cracks of doom? Do we think that? him putting the ring on his finger would allow him to get past Sam? Do we think Sam would be able to talk him into doing the right thing? Would he get there in time? Would he have to wrestle Frodo himself and try to pull the ring off his finger? Uh, If he's successful, you know, how does that look afterwards? Is their friendship ever the same? If he's not successful, what happens? You know, does the Nazgul come and take the ring from Frodo, and, you know, we got Sauron ruling the New Dark Age, or... I don't know, what, what are some things... What do you think would happen, let's say, if Gollum wasn't there to have that final moment where he bites off the finger and falls into the fire.
1: Check-in, mate, man. I don't think Frodo is getting out of there. (laughs) His ass was already collapsing, walking up a mountain. You think just because he has a ring, he's going to make it past the Nazgul and everyone that can see him now? (laughs) You're talking about Sauron's eye that can see him, and he's going to make it through all those armies when... You have 7,000 people of Gondor that are fighting for their life? No, it's check-in, mate, man. Sorry. Game over. (laughs) I guess. I I would like to think that Sam would
0: be able to somehow, if not talk Frodo into doing the right thing, at least maybe...
1: He tried. (sighs) He already tried. That was it.
0: (laughs) He didn't really try, though. He didn't really have any sort of dialogue. It was just... He said... He looked for him. He's like did he told. Frodo? Sam I, I I'm not coming I'm not doing what I came here to do. There was no real dialogue between the two of them at that point in time cuz then Gollum attacked Sam from behind basically knocked him unconscious and when Sam woke up from that blow Gollum was on an invisible man trying to get that ring off. I don't know so I, just, I wonder if maybe you know he could have talked him into it eventually made made him see sense cuz it seemed that Sam was the only person that could bring Frodo back to a semblance of reality. When all else seemed lost and it seemed like Frodo was going to fade into darkness or madness. And I don't know, maybe he had one last, you know, pony trick in him and he would be able to to do it. I don't know for sure. And then on top of that, you know, let's say he puts that ring on and he's invisible. Is Sam as uh, perceptive as Gollum and being able to find that invisible person? Or do we think Frodo just walks right past out Sam and then we have the issue of the rest of the Dark Lord Sauron's minions coming after Frodo because they can see him? I don't really know. Uh, that's, those are those are some of the things I would bring up in in, in defensive. Is I would like to think that Sam could uh, could get Frodo do the right thing one way or the other, but who who really knows, man? I don't I don't have a straight answer. It's likely, yeah, you know, I uh, likely it's you know it's curtains for the good guys. But
1: it's Sam, sur- hey, made. Sam surprised us before.
0: <laughs> Sam surprised us through this whole damn thing and make the case that he's the MVP. Of the whole series, it's, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he I had one last trip. In him.
1: Uh, <laughs> I love. Sam's my boy, but sorry, he's not the MVP. You can say the MVP is Gandalf <laughs> or Aragorn. <laughs> sorry, no, he carried him up the mountain, but that's not all he really did. I don't know, man. <laughs> Gandalf left him pretty much
0: stranded after Moria. They Frodo they, and Sam didn't see Gandalf until. If Gandalf didn't sacrifice his ass, they're not getting past Moria. Yeah. Of course <laughs> no, they I are. That is not coming out of there. That was a whole <laughs> that was a wasted sacrifice. There was zero reason for Gandalf to do that. He just wanted to be dramatic. Like like they could have just yeah, right. they could have just ran right out of the exit. That's all they ended up doing anyway, they were already at the exit. The is not gonna chase him out in the open. it's like... Lives in the caves in darkness. What the hell was it going to do out by the skirts of the Lorien woods? They ain't going to come out and follow him. Gandalf just wanted to be dramatic and say you can't pass and use his staff to break some stone. Fuck that shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what happened, and it's not like they were surrounded by... Hundreds of orcs. They were still fleed. surrounded anyways. They were they bleed <laughs> they, they,
0: the, when
1: the bell rock The orcs ended up
0: pursuing them anyways. Like that that wouldn't change. That Whatever, no for be, just sleep at night.
1: <laughs> but I'm, I, you, I I like I'm gonna make one hell of a boy, case.
0: Sam. I'm telling you, whenever we do our last Lord of the Rings episode. But the, the, the these novels and these films, I'm gonna make one hell of a
1: case that Sam was the MVP of the whole series. So I, I, I like Sam. Sam's my boy, man. You'll never see me talk bad about Sam. It's like Daenerys Targaryen. She's my girl, you know. I'm not gonna, not gonna talk bad about her. But at the same time. <laughs> at the same like, I time what at the end of the day Frodo got stabbed
0: there. by a damn spider and was paralyzed and if Sam wasn't there that's fucking curtains ending there Gollum gets the ring back it's all over so I'm I'm making the case Sam for MVP baby dark horse candidate
1: <laughs> So what do you think? I would say it's check in mate and the curtains are closed. Do you think Sam would be ever be able to do anything? I, I like to think so. I mean
0: my, my heart tells me yes, but my head tells me it's it's no good here because I just don't think Sam's nimble enough or perceptive enough to figure out like you know Gollum's really drawn to that ring and he had a really he was able to jump right on Frodo's invisible body pretty quickly. so at least from the, what the book made it seem like and what we saw on, on screen, Without him there to be able to do that, do I think Sam could have found it? Ah, It's tough. It's really tough. I like to think that maybe he would make some pleading speech that resonates in Frodo's soul and brings him one last time back to normalcy, and he's like, you know what, Sam, you're right, and throws the ring in. That's, That's what I like to think in my heart, but... Realistically he's probably like, fuck off Sam, I got the ring and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the king of all this shit. I don't know, man.
1: But anyways. Yeah, no, that's the I mean, look at what happened to Seal door, man. A Sealdor got that ass was grass. <laughs> yeah, well, Sealdor was an that. arrogant
0: man, Frodo was a humble <laughs> hobbit. Who knows? But
1: that's my debate, a, man. I don't know. What do you got a for your debate? I'm glad to be <laughs> uh, Hey man, I mean I give you props. I, I I'll, you know what? I'll agree with you on that. Like, let's say. I don't know. I just can't see any way his ass is getting out there. I can't agree with you. I tried, man. I tried. I can't do it. I don't see any way his ass is. He's already exhausted. <laughs> he barely got him up the mountain. <laughs> You're talking about an army of dear Lord knows how many people. And you got to get out of there and you couldn't even make it out. You had to get some birds to save you. I just don't think it's possible. Check in, mate. righty. Well, what do you got for your debates for, for the day? So this kind of leads me into my debate. I would say who I we won't go to the MBV thing because I know you're saving that one. Who is more important to the overall series, in your opinion? Is it Frodo or Sam? Oh, man, that's a tough one.
0: That, just because I, we never got to see Sam have to carry the burden as long as Frodo did. Frodo, And what's really crazy about this, too, I want people to realize that this entire journey happened in under a year. It's actually mentioned here from the, the time that they set off from the Shire to when the ring was cast into the fire... It was under a year's time. But, Frodo had that ring around him in his home, and just feeling the oppressive energy of it, and carried it on him for the, the, basically the entirety of the journey outside that small time where Sam had to take it from his paralyzed body from the spider. So... And Sam already said he was feeling the weight of it just after, you know, that day or day and a half or so, whatever the, the amount of time was that Sam had it, so it's easy to say that we could just you know, because Sam was so hopeful and he seemed to have strength coming from places that Frodo didn't, that Sam would be able to do it but we really don't know the type of toll that this ring takes on you and, you know, it obviously ensnared Gollum's mind and it's ensnared great men's mind like a door and so the fact that Frodo was able to fight it off as long as he can, and that could potentially be more impressive, and maybe Sam couldn't have done that. You know, that's that's a hard question for me to answer. I think they're both equally important to each other, and that's why they ended up going together when all the rest of the company split apart. I don't think either of them could do it without the other one. To be honest, I don't think Frodo could do it without Sam. I don't think Sam could do it without Frodo. It's just really hard for me to get an idea, because who knows if they get that far if Sam, you know, takes the ring from the beginning, you know? And then, obviously, we know if without Sam, it would have been all for nothing, because he would have been killed by the spider, Shelob. So, it, and that and that's that best-case scenario, right? That's, that's assuming that Gollum didn't strangle Frodo in his sleep while Frodo was you know, trying to get some rest and fighting with the power of the ring in his mind at the same time. Didn't have Sam there to help keep watch over everything. So, you know, it, I could hear the argument for either one. I truly have a hard time giving a direct answer. Like I said, I really don't think either of them could have done it without the other. That's, that's my true answer. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I'm gonna 100% agree with you, actually that doesn't happen often (laughs) that doesn't happen often uh i'll make the case for sam in this sense here he was especially in these final chapters here like he was the mvp in these final chapters like even out of the whole trap they were setting to you know cause a diversion for sauron and everything i still think sam is the mvp there um I mean, if it wasn't for Sam, the the ring wouldn't have gotten to the top of the mountain at all. Like, that's it. However, I will say the reason they're equally important, I won't even go the route of, like, how long the journey was with Frodo. If it wasn't for Frodo, Gollum wouldn't have been there at all because Sam didn't like Gollum's ass. <laughs> so it's because Frodo kept giving him chances that Gollum happened to be there and because Gollum didn't like sam like he happened to kind of track them and was trying to really take out sam in that process so that's where frodo kind of gets a one-up on in my opinion like yes also too he did kind of bear the ring the whole time but i think it was a more if you're talking in terms of sports i would say a more impactful play on sam's terms at the very end, there, kind of like at the goal line for the touchdown, right? But how did you get the ball there? You know, <laughs> someone's got to drive it downfield. And uh, a lot of that was, you know, the running on the running back of Frodo or however you want to uh, put that there, right? So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I would give them both equally, you know, it was a, a true 50 50 for me like who's more important
0: i'm with that i agree with you i agree man i don't know is there any last things you wanted to say before we bounce out for the day anything you know in these chapters particularly that
1: you know you wanted to say some last words on no man it was uh it's been one hell of a journey we got uh one more episode here to close out the book the third installment and then you know, I love my battle breakdowns. We got a couple episodes of The Differences there, so it's not quite over yet. So even though we're climbing down the mountain, we're still not, you know, just like I say, she'll be coming around the mountain. Here she comes. We're still getting there, man. So I'll let you close this
0: out. Sounds like a plan, my man. All right. so you know uh, thanks guys for joining us this is your very first time I, we hope you enjoyed what you heard if you've stuck around since the very beginning you already know you're the shields that guard the realms of fantasy uh if you, like i said this being your very first time if you're looking to where you can follow us we are on social media uh, we're on instagram at official ridiculous patronus we're on tiktok at ridiculous patronus we have a facebook fan page chase and josh factor fantasy we're on youtube ridiculous patronus snapchat rp factor fantasy twitter rp factor fantasy that is where you can follow us on those social sites Uh, on top of that please go ahead and subscribe comment like leave reviews on apple podcasts go ahead and leave star review ratings on spotify so that way you know if you are an android user and you're looking to figure out where you can find the podcast itself those are two right off the bat. You know, if you're an Apple user, you can find an Apple Podcast. If you're an Android user, you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Google Play. You can find us on Audible. You can find us on Amazon Music. You can find us on iHeartRadio. We're on Podbean, our host site. Uh, we, have, we are on Stitcher, ACAST. Wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. We love the audience engagement. So please go ahead and write those reviews. Leave us any sort of comments. And we will get back to you guys. But, you know, we're out for the day. You know, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Back to Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.